turn your Bibles to first or second John, I should say, second John. Second John, we'll read the, uh, the whole uh, letter, it's only uh, 13 verses, even though we did speak on the first four verses last week, we will read the letter right through. First John, uh, Second John, sorry, and verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. Verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, and the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to speak, or do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you, and may the Lord add a blessing uh, to his word this morning. Last week, we saw how John wrote this small letter to a godly lady, actually she's called the elect lady and he also addresses her children and we looked carefully at these opening remarks and saw that this inspired introduction highlighted the vital need for believers to love and live according to the truth that is the truth as in the scriptures we also saw the truth this truth in the scriptures needs to be the basis and needs to be what underpins how we live and how we relate to God himself and with everyone else in the world. That's why we titled our message last week, Love and Truth Go Hand in Hand. But as you know, when we talk about truth, the truth that God has given to us in his grace he didn't have to, but he chose to in his word and he's preserved his word amazingly right down through the millenniums. That truth has never been more ignored and despised by society than it has today. 
As you know, truth is mostly an irrelevant thing in many people's minds today. The concept of truth being even an absolute is scorned, to say the least, by most in our culture and society. Even the profound truth of God's general revelation, we call it, that is, the creation around us, is despised and scorned and looked upon as something that has evolved, etc., etc. And they do this, they despise that truth and they ignore that truth because, as we know from the Scriptures, man's even very mind and reason is depraved. And all it does is to suppress the truth, the known truth and the knowledge of God as man looks at creation all around him. In other words, he cannot come to a saving knowledge that God gives in his son Jesus Christ by looking at the creation around him because he suppresses that truth, ignores it and just puts it aside. And the writer to the Romans, the Apostle Paul, says, and because of this suppression, man is without excuse. Romans 3, 19 to 18. And so, because of man's, re- or man's reason alone, as I've said, even after concluding, perhaps, I can remember being with someone who said, wow, you know, when I look at creation, well, you didn't say creation, it was we were looking at a sunset out over the... It was in Fiji, actually, at the time. And we were looking out over, and he says, you know what? He says, when I see something like that, I really have to believe that there is a God. But man's reason alone, even after concluding that there must be a God, cannot lead a person to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because apart from God's special revelation, that is, his truth as revealed in Holy Scripture concerning his Son, people will remain ungodly and lost and eternally doomed. Why? Simply this, because the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. And so this is why divine truth, this is why the truth of the Bible... It needs to invade people's minds, as it were, invade their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your uh, or my persuasion. It needs to invade their hearts and convict them in order to bring about repentance and faith that leads to salvation. That's what needs to happen. That's why we need to be much in prayer that God's word would do its work in people's lives, right? This is the truth that this dear elect lady and her children heard and grasped hold of by faith, and this is the truth that transformed their whole lives, their whole worldview, their whole outlook. And so John ends the section in verse 4 with great news for this godly woman that some of her children that he had come across, probably those who had left home, what were they doing? How did he find them? They were walking in the truth. That is, they were consistently living according to the truth revealed by God in his word about Jesus Christ and his saving power. They were now obeying, not ignoring God's truth. They were obedient to the will of God and they were allowing his truth to dictate the terms of their living. And so with this great news about her children, what John does now is he gets to the heart of the 
matter of what he really wants to bring to the attention of this dear lady and I might say to all of us, all of the elect of God, including us here this morning. He wants to encourage his readers to stand fast, to protect and to grow in this truth. That's what he wants. But before he gets that, John seems to think that we haven't really got it. And so under the inspiration of God and the Spirit of God, he he, he drives home again a truth that he's already reiterated. And he does this in verses 5 and 6. Why does he do that? Well, John, this is not new to John. John tells us that genuine love for God and for one another is all about obedience to the truth. He goes over and over and he reiterates that again. And he he wrote this back in his first epistle. And he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we really want to know what this love is, right? So that we can obey it properly. And this brings us to our first point, the call to love and live according to the truth in verses 5 and 6. This is what John kind of goes over, something that he's already touched on and uh, he brings to our attention. And what he does in verse 5, if you look at that text, he begins with the word and, or you may have in your translations, now. That little word is important because what it does is it links that section with what he's just said in verse 4. And then John shows no hesitation whatsoever in asking this lady again to love one another. And this request was not new. It wasn't something that she had never heard before and say, oh wow, where did you get that from? No, it wasn't new. As a matter of fact, the love command goes all the way back to the law of God in the Old Testament. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry calls attention to this when he quoted the Old Testament law and he says this in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. So this commandment, though not new, but it certainly had an amazing boost, can I say, an amazing boost through the work and the power and example of Jesus Christ because people then were able to literally see this love in action in Jesus' life and, of course, ultimately in his sacrifice. And because in Christ the Christian each of us who belong to the Lord here, we have now a heart that has been filled with this divine capacity to love. We have that in Romans 5 and verse 5. When we come to the Lord by faith, the Lord uh, instills, the Lord places in, the Lord, the, old, the King James I think says, sheds abroad in our heart the love of God. And so this command to love one another, it, it's not now just a command to obey, it's a spiritual issue, it's a heart issue. It's not merely about external actions. The believer now has this Holy Spirit-born capacity to love. And so the Christian obeys this age-old command because his heart, his very being, has been what? It's been transformed by God at salvation. The believer in Jesus now has the capacity to love as Jesus Christ loves. 
So we now have a new understanding of love through the indwelling Holy Spirit because we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we now love. Why? Why do we love? What's the motivation? 1 John 4.19, back in that early first epistle he wrote, we love because he first loved us. This obedience to love actually defines the believer. I wonder if we knew that. You should be able to tell a believer how they love. The true believer will long to obey and wants to love as God commands. And John makes this clear and again in his first letter. This is what he says. Whoever says he, he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 1 John 2, 9 and 10. And all this is to say is that the believer is called to obey the command to love one another. And you know what? Genuine, true faith in Jesus Christ We'll do that. We'll long to do that. Now, folks, John is speaking to a real issue that is needed for many believers, sad to say, today. Because there are so many people in the evangelical circles who believe, even though they may not come out and say this specifically, who believe that Christianity doesn't entail a call to obedient discipleship. They believe that Christianity is about freedom, and it sure is, right? We're being freed from the enslavement of sin and the bondage of sin, etc. We're no longer held by Satan, no longer under condemnation. But they believe that Christianity is all about freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to do what they want. They have this idea that we're no longer under the law, we're no longer under obligation, we're under grace, and rules can have nothing to do with us in the Christian life, so they say. And they'll go on and on, it's all about grace. And you know me, I love the grace of God, and we all love the grace of God, and so I'm not undermining that at all. But as we have seen, a true believer is divined as one who obeys the command to love one another. And this, this requires discipline, right? Because some of us are not very lovable. I can understand why people find it difficult to love me. And it requires discipline, but it's a command of God and we're to love one another, those who are in the faith. But then we may ask, but what defines love? What does this love look like? What does this action word look like in real life? What does it mean to love God and to love one another? Well, you look at the end of verse 6. You see here the command is to, to, is to love. And the definition is what? definition of love is what? It says there just to walk in it. To walk in it. And then at the end of the verse, that we walk according to his commandments. Verse 6 says, and this is love. Okay, and now we have the definition, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. This is all about love for God, first and foremost, resulting in a right love for others. This word walk, by the way, is, it's not a stop-start kind of thing. It's the idea of 
walking around. Actually, the word means in an unbroken circle, never deviating, never going outside an un- a circle, a sphere. That's what the idea this, this word means. It has the idea of, of walking a complete course with God. In other words, John is saying to love is to live all our lives in the sphere of God's commandments and God's great commandment is love. And when he says that, he's saying nothing new. As we have seen, Jesus' words. He said this in Matthew 22. On this, all the law and the prophets hang, that we love God with all our hearts and our neighbours as ourselves. Matthew 22. That's what walking according to the commandment looks like. Now, folks, this truth is immediately reflects something, right? This walking commandment, according to the truth, reflects God's moral test to each one of us. In other words, as we look at this and think about this, the text asks us, are we walking according to the Word of God? Are we walking in the sphere of God? So what John basically says is, if you're walking in love, then you're walking in accordance with God's Word. And if you're walking in accordance with God's Word, then you're walking in love. There's love to find and there's obedience to find. And so may we be those who are walking in Love this morning, love toward God and love one toward another. May that be the case for everyone here this morning. Secondly, we see the call to stand fast in the truth when it is attacked. We see this in verses 7 and 8. You know, many years ago, Velma and I decided to renovate our house in New Zealand and, um, and we talked about this mammoth task, which it was, uh, to a few folk in our rural community at the time. And soon after, I was approached by a guy who worked on a local farm and we'd sort of seen him around a couple of times. And he said, look, I can help you with this. And uh, he had been in the construction business in Auckland for quite a few years. And um, he said he still had contacts where he could get all the gibrock, you know, all that stuff, that white stuff on wall that you paint, that I needed at trade rates because of the contacts he had. He was a friendly guy and he showed no reason at all why I should not trust him and he told me that a truckload of gibrock would be delivered by the end of the week and with that I paid him accordingly. Well, you know the end of the story, no gibrock arrived. I never saw the likeable man or my money ever again. I was deceived big time. I took a shortcut. But I'm smiling back there. I know she remembers it. Old Jeff, he was sucked in. I deviated from the course, can you say, of safe business practice. Folks, it's one thing being deceived where you might lose a few dollars and a little bit of pride. But it's something else when you're deceived whereby you lose eternal truth. Truth that God has built into your life over perhaps many years through faithful discipleship and faithful preaching and through faithful men and others in your life. 
And this is what John is on about here. He warns this elect lady and all believers that we are not to be naive and undiscerning whereby we accept anyone who claims to represent Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Yes, we are to love people, but here John sets some boundaries on that love. And a clear boundary line we must not cross is that believers cannot love any of the many deceivers who have gone out into the world. We cannot love them. Followers of Jesus Christ cannot love antichrists or have fellowship with those who pervert the truth of God. They cannot. A deceiver in the, word, in the, in the Greek, by the way, is the word planos. It's where we get the word, our word planet from. You know those things up in the sky? I don't know, but I wonder if we got, kind of got that idea, you know, where we talk about wandering stars. Different thing I know, but it was something that just dawned on me. So in other words, the many deceivers here, they're energised by Satan. They are wanderers who go from here and there, seeking whom they may devour, trying to get others to veer off God's true course of safety trying to get believers to come outside of that course, outside of that sphere where God has told them to be and commanded them to be. So here John defines a deceiver and echoes Jesus' words. When Jesus spoke to his disciples in Mark 13, he says, there would be deceivers, there will be false teachers, and there would be false messiahs. The Lord Jesus said that when he was warning his disciples. And how true it is, and so prolific in our day, that wherever the true gospel goes, Satan's emissaries are right there also. They're sheep and wolves' clothing. They go undetected by the naive and undiscerning. These people, they preach the false gospel or they write in their many books about a false, or a false gospel. They pervert the true gospel message which in turn pollutes the church. No better example of such deceitful work can be seen of these wandering vagabonds, I call them, than what we see in the Galatian church. You see, as a result of the Galatian church and these people perverting the true gospel, the Apostle Paul had to come in and write a letter of rebuke to them to the believers. These wandering vagabonds had come in and they had moved some outside the sphere, were calling, they were doubting the words of God, the words of Christ. And Paul says, I am so amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Galatians 1.6 now, you will know, as I know, there are many ways that the gospel is distorted, right? Even back then and in this day. Back then and even today, some deny the deity of Jesus Christ, while others deny that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, according to His word alone and Christ alone. They deny that. Some will even push a prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. Um, and whereby they believe that trust in Jesus or believe in Jesus and you'll be free from poverty and problems, etc. So that's what we call a prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. It distorts the truth. 
But deceivers in our day, in our text, what they did is they attacked the gospel by denying that Jesus was fully human. In other words, they said and believed and taught that Jesus was perhaps some angelic apparition or, or, or some good guy, but he was certainly not fully God and fully man as the true gospel records. They denied that and they taught that. Now, folks, this evil teaching is dangerous to say the least. You know why? Because if Jesus was not God-man, fully God and fully man, he could never be our perfect substitute for sinners. He could never perfectly fulfill that role whereby he could pay the price for our sin because he was not that, if that was the case. Nor at the same time could he perfectly represented God and all his holiness. So if he wasn't fully God and fully man, he could not be our saviour. So this was a perilous and vicious attack on the truth of the gospel. And John is concerned here that this false teaching might gain a foothold amongst God's people. So he warns believers what will happen if that does happen. He says, watch yourselves. See that in verse 8 right at the beginning? Watch yourselves. Now, this watch yourselves has the idea of taking a good perceptive look at any teaching that deviates from sound doctrine and where it might lead. That's what it means. In other words, to watch yourselves is to be vigilant and discerning and, can I say, even suspicious of anyone who comes and claims to represent Christ. Treat them with suspicion because there is so much at stake here, folks. So much at stake. John says you can very well jeopardize and what does he actually say? Lose what we have accomplished. You see that? By allowing these people to have a inroad, whether it's through you reading books or whether it's you on the Wi-Fi or whether it's going listening to someone on a televangelist, there are heaps of them around. You need to be discerning because there is so much at stake. You can lose what we have accomplished and that will mean a loss of future reward in heaven. You see, folks, John was really showing his pastoral heart here. He was really showing his pastoral heart. You see, he had faithfully ministered in the life of this lady and her children and he did not want to see that ministry jeopardized and wasted. He longed, like any faithful pastor does, that the full fruit of the work that has been done together, especially with this family in our text, might come to fruition. He did not want them to lose what they had together come so far in and accomplished. He did not want them to lose that. You see, folks, and I speak from my heart here, nothing saddens a faithful pastor's heart more than when a member of the flock entrusted to him by God moves outside the circle of God's truth and casts aside all that they have spiritually accomplished. Believe you me, that is so heart-wrenching, to say the least, so heart-wrenching. But worse still, but worse still, 
this will result in a loss of reward. They slip backwards, they go their own way, and yes, though they may be saved, though they may belong to the Lord, they may gain heaven, but they will lose a future reward that faithful believers will gain and get when they get to glory. And what God intends as follows to have. Also, they'll lose their joy. There are too many unhappy Christians around in this day and age. I just had a text from one this morning. No joy in his life. No joy. And I'll tell you why. Because they've moved outside the sphere. They haven't obeyed his commandments. And they're in danger of, of, of losing what we've accomplished together. Let us heed what God says in his word. Third one, the call to protect the truth in the face of heresy. We see this in verses 9 to 11. As you will know, it's one thing to stand firm and, and believe in the truth, but it's something else to actively protect the truth when it's been denigrated. What can happen is that we so easily become sleeping partners. Our guarding and protecting God's truth when it's maligned too easily goes out the door and we kind of said, well, okay, I'm not gifted enough to protect it. I'll just leave that to someone else. We come up with all these sorts of excuses. Now, this does not mean that we should verbally attack anyone who thinks differently on a biblical topic than we do. Man, if we did that, we'd be all, we wouldn't have time to even live, would we? But it does mean that we are to be discerning and vigilant with anyone who comes alongside and what? And goes too far. You see that word there? And goes too far. They go beyond and they step ahead and they go contrary to what the Scriptures teach. This is what it means. These are those who do not abide in the teachings of Christ. Now, that teaching of Christ here can refer to the actual and literal teachings of Jesus himself when he was on earth, or can also, or what also does refer to the teachings about Christ that we have right throughout the Scriptures. And so these people, they go beyond the confines of what Scriptures teach about him, and in doing so, they misrepresent the true gospel. And then John clearly says of such people, you know what he says of them? They do not have God. You see that? They have not God. In other words, they are not true believers. They are outside of Christ. Now, folks, that's a serious matter, right? And so if there are people like that in John's day, there must be people like this in our day. And don't forget, these people were not irreligious and atheistic. They were people who had an element of the truth. And they were coming amongst the church and, and, and people's homes and, and they sounded good and they had all the right words and etc, uh, etc. Et they probably even said grace at the table before they had a meal, all that sort of stuff. They were, they were sheep. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. So this is a serious matter because John calls them out and he says oh, they're not of God. They do not have God. You see, this is a salvation issue here. We're not dealing with believers who are in ignorance and we all have measures of ignorance when it comes to nailing down the, the absolute entirety of the gospel properly. We all have measures of that, right? I would never ever dare say that I know exactly everything what the Bible says about the gospel. 
And I understand it. I would never dare say that. So we all have measures of ignorance. So this is not about that. You see, these guys in our text, what they were doing, they were abusing the hospitality of this lady for the one sole purpose of leading her astray with extra-biblical teaching. That's what their purpose was. And John calls them out as not having God, not believers at all. And then he contrasts them with something. You see what he contrasts? He contrasts them with those who abide in the teaching. So you those who are not of God, and then you have those who abide in the teaching. Now these ones are true believers. These are those who endure, who abide and live in the sphere of the teaching of Christ. Why do they do that? Because God's truth lives in them. It's who we are. It's who we are. And that is why we are to protect the truth when it's attacked. Folks, we must be ready. We must be ready and equipped like a good soldier. We must be armoured up and ready to wield the sword of the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. Then in verse 9, John gives a practical application of what it means and looks like to protect God's truth in the face of it being attacked. Many people jump to this verse and they think, oh, this is what first, second, uh, second John's all about, and they think it's a primary, but it's not. It's only an example. It's an application of what he's on about here. And he says, if, you see that? Verse 9, if, verse 10, sorry, if anyone comes to you. In other words, what he's saying, for the sake of argument, for the sake of argument, or listen up, for example, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting, forever greets him partakes in his wicked works. Hospitality for travellers was common in this culture when our text was written. Motels and caravans and hotels, etc., uh, and um, Travago and things like that, um, and booking.com were not available as you know and so people travelling around relied on hospitality of good people like the select lady it was a done thing and in this case John was concerned that this hospitality was being abused by these unsaved religionists can I call them? John is not saying here, believers, saints, listen up. He's not saying, I never want you to welcome unsaved people into your homes, or he's not saying, you are never to discuss the scriptures with people of false faiths or other faiths, because as we know, that's good healthy evangelism, and it can be, right? Good healthy evangelism. After all, take Jesus' example. He sat down with tax collectors and sinners and he ate a meal with them. Even though he was scorned and called out by the Pharisees for doing so, he did that. And even discussed gospel truth with the Pharisees and Sadducees, especially the Pharisees, when they confronted him with their false ideas. 
What John is saying here is that believers are not to go all out and initiate and welcome these false teachers. Now this one Greek word here, that we have one Greek word for do not receive. What that one Greek word, I just love the word pictures in this uh, that John uses here because uh, they've all got a very pictorial in their, in their makeup. It has the idea of initiating and laying hold of an opportunity to care for such people. That's what it has. It's almost like, uh, you know, motel, you know, have the open sign. It's almost like uh, this, this lady is not just sort of, any strangers are welcome in here. No matter what faith you are, you're all welcome. I want you to come in and stay with me. She's not to do that. She's not to initiate this opportunity for people to abuse. So we can ask the question, why are we not to be proactively hospitable toward people who are bent on perverting God's truth? Why are we not to initiate hospitality towards, let's get up close and personal, our JW friends and, and the Mormons that may come knocking at your door, just to name a few? Why should we not greet these people with a Christian greeting of grace and peace as, as if they were one of us? Why should we not welcome them? Why should we not initiate and go beyond and, and do that? Simply this. We cannot greet them like this. That's what it says here in verse 10. Do not give him a greeting. The idea of greeting is there is a Christian greeting. Not just saying, hey, g'day, mate. We do that to everyone, right? Or cheers, mate, or we'll see you next time. This, here, this greeting here is the idea of a Christian greeting. More than likely one that has grace and peace in it, that often the apostles open their letters as a greeting with grace and peace in it. We cannot do that because that's a greeting of oneness and togetherness that only Christ can bring and, 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 and cause to happen in our lives. And we cannot treat them as one with us. And if we do so, we fail in protecting the truth. And so what, if we do give that greeting and do welcome them in and initiate all this, this togetherness, etc., we'll give the impression that we are participating and, and affirming their lives. We'll be guilty by association. And John says, you're not to do that because it's dangerous. It's a little bit like me, someone coming and asking, oh, look, you're a, a, you've got your marriage celibacy license and uh, I'd like you to marry it. I said, oh, the first thing is, oh, you're a Christian? He said, oh, yeah, yes, um, I am, but um, uh, my fiancé is not. What am I going to do? I know, what you, all you know what I'm going to do. I'll say, sorry, I, I respect you both, but it's an ungodly union to be married to an unbeliever. If you're profess, you profess to know Jesus Christ as your saviour and for you to go out and marry an unbeliever, it's against the word of God and say, so, I'm sorry, I cannot, will not marry you. Now, what would you think if I did? What would you think if I did? I know what you'd think if I did. You'd think, oh, well, our pastor's gone soft. He's kind of, obviously, thinks marrying a unsaved and Christian is, is all kosher and it's okay. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah. And, so, and in that way, some would say, well, if the pastor thinks it's all right, it must be all right. You see how false stuff gets caught on? And if I did that, by the way, I would not be protecting the truth. 
but would not be protecting it. Let us be those who protect the truth by knowing and acting rightly when heresy knocks at the door. And by the way, this is not being unloving or intolerant either. Why? Because genuine love for God and his truth and for one another forbids such deceivers from ever gaining a foothold in our homes and in our churches. And finally, we see the call to growth. And this is something that I mentioned right at the beginning of the service when uh, Kevin was talking about learning and growing. And, um, and we see this in verses 12 to 13. And um, as I was preparing this, I, I was called to mind some time ago, I was engaged in a counselling session with someone over the phone and, and via many emails. You can imagine what that's like. It was downright difficult. But it was the best I could do owing to the geographical locations of one and the other. See what I mean? But I still felt that I could have done a whole lot better and be more effective if I could have met face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, mouth-to-mouth. Letter writing is okay, but so much more can be passed on face-to-face. That's what John is saying here. Now, the truth of Scripture even. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's, it's God's revealed truth. It, it, it's, it's all we have. You can't get better than this, right? It's through this that men and women like ourselves are saved and are, and are eternally uh, belong to the Lord. You can't get better than that. But you can get better than that, you know, because one day we're going to look at the Lord face to face. The Lord's just not going to leave us here eternally with this. He's going to take us all home to be with him based on the truth of his word. So face to face is much better. And this is what John is saying here. In other words, John wanted a, a greater knowledge of, this, of the truth of God to be this elect ladies, to be this ladies. Why? Because greater knowledge of the truth would bring greater joy. Folks, why do I preach and others here Sunday by Sunday, month after month, in and out, face to face with you. So that your joy may be made full. So that you might grow and increase in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter ends his epistle with, first epistle. And so again, John is echoing the words of Jesus when he said to his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 11, this is what Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and listen to this, and that your joy may be made full, mature, growing. You see, folks, knowing the truth of God and obeying it does not bring bondage and woefulness like many would believe. It brings joy, right? So how's your joy level lately? How's your joy level? Is your tank run dry? Some Christians I hear all they speak about is themselves and all their woes and pains and so forth. And often I do feel sorry for them because they are in a physical, real difficult predicament. But grow in the Lord. Increase in the knowledge of Christ. And the temporary things of this world will be, will be consumed and eaten up by the joy of the Lord. Because one day we're going to meet Him face to face. 
you lack joy in the Lord, you need some good doses of the gospel truth. Preferably, as long as we're still here on this earth, in discipleship relationships, maybe one-on-one, or certainly coming along to church Sunday by Sunday in home groups. We need that, folks. You know what? Sometimes I've gone along to home groups with a bad, rotten attitude. I'm an ordinary person. Ten minutes before I've gone, I don't want to go there. Oh, well, I better go because, hey, I'm the pastor, right? I've got to be there. What a rotten attitude. We sing a couple of songs. Someone shares something. We open a script and mind you, halfway through, my heart is lifted. I have to confess halfway through home group often to the Lord. Real joy comes through growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And in, jo- in closing, John passes on a greeting from this godly woman's nieces and nephews. Obviously he had bumped into them somewhere along the line. We're not told how. And um, it just says, the children of your chosen sister greet you. The word chosen. He makes no apologies for using the word chosen. I love the word chosen. As I said last week, the elect of God. You know what it reminds me? It, it fills me with joy because it, you know what it tells all of us, all of you who are born again here this morning? It tells us how special, super special that we are to God. And that should bring a smile to your dial or if, if your heart with nothing else. And that's what it does here. And as we close, may the Lord teach us that we need to, be, need to, to love and live according to the truth. We do stand fast in the truth, especially when God's truth is under fire, and it often is. We need to protect the truth in the face of heresy, and there's heaps of that around. And we need to continue to grow in the truth so that our joy in Jesus Christ might be made full. Folks, we need to be proactive in these things because genuine love for God and His truth are inseparable and they demand that we act upon them. May God bless each one of you as we move from this place. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we do bow and acknowledge again our great unworthiness. But Lord, you alone are worthy and you have accepted us as your children. You have called us and according to your word, chosen us before the foundation of the world. We are your elect. Every true child of God is that. And we are special to you. Not that we feel in ourselves special, but Lord, because of your truth, we are told that we are special. We are royal priests, chosen. And so, Father, help us to love you more and to love one another more according to your truth. Take us from this place. May this truth be lived out in our homes, in our marriages. May we know how to relate to people, to folks in the workplace, whoever they might be. Lord, we're even to love sinners. Love them for the gospel's sake. But what a special love we're to have toward one another as those in Christ. So help us to relish these wonderful truths and help us to grow in them. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.